Hello and welcome to another edition of Kaleidoscope. This is Magda Zenon recording from a really, really warm Nicosia. And with me in the studio, I have Reno Spanudis. Reno, welcome. Thank you very, very much. What an absolute honor. Here I am sitting in a rather cold Johannesburg midrand. <laughs> to let the listeners know, I made an exception with Reno. And I made an exception with Reno because I usually, this is actually a woman's forum, as you can see from the title of the podcast. Yes. Um, because in reading his CV, I saw a fellow storyteller. And in reading his CV, I also saw things that triggered memories from the past about living in apartheid South Africa that I could not ignore. So let's start off with your history of doing things like the Tzafendas trial, okay. the Tzafendas movie. Right. And I would like a little bit of a background to fill in the listeners, a short background about who Tzafendas was. Okay, excellent. So when I was six years old, I was at primary school at Fairways Primary in in Burnham and there was an announcement that we must all go to the hall because um, the Prime Minister Favut had been assassinated and the school was closing and we must all be gather because our parents are coming to fetch us. And my mom from down the road at the corner cafe in Kola Drive came and she fetched me and I remember it so vividly because the shops, all the Greek cafes, the uh, all the the, the, the shops um, that were proverbial, proverbially owned by Greeks and Cypriots and immigrants closed because now tragic, the 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 lamb, the cedar lamb of the country had been assassinated, and there was already rumor that the, he was Greek. So there was this 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 rumor that started that said he's Greek. Then they said, no, he's not Greek. He's Portuguese. Then they said, no, he's colored. And so the journey occurred. Why I mentioned that as the starting point is that made such an impression on me because I experienced personally as a little kid and my parents, we experienced abuse from people who said we killed their leader. We killed their, their, their father. We, we, we are immigrants and foreigners. And at school, I was told, yeah, you Greeks. And then people, and then I used to say as a little kid, no, no, he wasn't Greek. He was Portuguese to try and get out of that. And so that stuck can with I, me. Can I, can I yes, add, can I add course, to that? Because what the man who had been assassinated was also the father of apartheid. Correct. So he, he was the architect. God. Yes, he was the architect of apartheid and he set up the apartheid regime and system and uh, had this favorite kind of expression of people to develop separately and to reach their potential separately. But it was at its heart inhumane and it was judged people on the color of their skin. Color. And it was just, but uh, not only uh, just color, but even if you looked dark, there's that famous story you would put it, you would be put in front of a bright light. And if the light hit your skin and it, your skin was still dark, then they would just on that basis say, no, too dark and put you in a different, different category. Many a story of a Greek or Cypriot immigrant, Portuguese immigrant coming to South Africa, the, the proverbial pencil test. They stick the pencil in your hair. And if the pencil stuck, it meant that you had to be in one of the the other groups, not white. You were not you were not regarded as white. And of course, the apartheid government divided the country and the people and the lives and the the housing and the access and the maneuvering and movement on the basis of white, black, colored, and Asian. And those were the four groups. And the the horrific stories. I mean, there are millions and millions of stories. There are far too many to say yet. Of course, of course. So should we go? Shall we go twenty years forward? Yes. Twenty years. This... So when I'm um, we're in in uh, 1997, I hear about. Or over the years, I was following Tafendas. I was intrigued by this man. And then when he, when Mandela was released. Um, he then released this obscure white man. And the irony is that he was in jail. Tzafendus was in jail at the same time as as Mandela was. Mandela on Robben Island and Tzafendus 
in Pretoria Central. And he released this man, but by that time, old and frail and tortured daily by the regime up to that point, put in a prison under the gallows for uh, uh, this. They never ever, they declared him insane, but they never put him into a mental institution. They kept him in prison. I mean, if you declare someone insane, put them in a mental institution. Why are you keeping them in the prison there? But they did that to torture him and daily torture. And then he was taken to um, the Vescopis um, mental institution, and that is where he lived his final days. When I saw photos of him, even my late mom, may she rest in peace, looked at photos and said, but the photographia, where this is... And I say, no, Ma, it's not me, it's offenders. So I bear an uncanny resemblance to him. And I thought to myself, well, maybe this is something I should look at. When a, when a book was written by Henk van Voden called Mont vol Glas, Mouthful of Glass, about this offender's story, and Liza Key made the, the documentary A Question of Madness, about offenders, she based it on interviews with him in the mental institution. Then I realized this is a powerful play. I need to tell the story from the, basically from birth. This human being was rejected. An influence on your life. Yes. And an influence on your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there are many elements of his life that I connected with and I knew that and know that people all over the world, irrespective of where they are or what their life has been, would know certain elements. So Dimitri Tsafendas is the man who he had a Cretan father, Apotinkriti, and his mom was the proverbial help or the maid in the house. So he was the child from the Greek father who was having sexual relations with the black maid, black Mozambican woman from Lorenzo Marx. Which was, which yes. was illegal at the time. Illegal at the time and very common at the time, I might add. Oh. There are many, many people uh, from that kind of interaction. And, of course, he was born colored, uh, a mulatto, as they would say, would say in Lorenzo Marx. Uh, Portuguese. Oh. And so he grew okay. up his life forever being rejected. And then on a day in 1966, as a messenger in the Houses of Parliament, he walked in and stabbed the then architect and prime minister of South Africa, Hendrik French Verwoet, the architect of apartheid. He stabbed him with absolute precision to death in the Houses of Parliament and the rest is history, as they say. I can still remember that day. Yes. Hearing, even though I was also a child. Yes. During the, um, but I, in our conversation before, you have said that what we were fed at the time yes. of what happened in the House of Parliament and who Tzafendas, yes. yes. what the role of Tzafendas was, has actually changed. Why has it changed? Okay, so when we first started researching, uh, triggered by a number of articles over the years, but in particular, Henk van Voden's book, Henk van Voden's book, A Mouthful of Glass, we identified that there were certain things that were not being revealed. There was no, no access, for example, to all the evidence that was collected um, at the, the, the scene of the stabbing, of the assassination. Um, Tafendus was a uh, was, uh, seen as this person who was insane, who was answering to the voice of a tapeworm in his stomach. And he, they made him out to be this insane man who um, walked in there and just stabbed stabbed the prime minister uh, because he was he was insane. He didn't know what he was doing. There was no not even a suggestion of anything political. That was the first kind of phase. They had to say the madman. They had to have the population believing this is a madman who could possibly do something so... Want to, yeah. yeah. Who could they, possibly want to kill this, yeah, this architect of apartheid? The architect of apartheid, this, the, the, cedar, the cedar tree, the, this, this great hero 
um, who, by the way, himself was not pure, but yet wanted to make a pure society. Um, you know, the sickness that lies in all of us, I guess, at some point or some to some degree. So then slowly, as people were, because, I mean, the masses, the masses knew this man's not insane. This man was colored. This man knew what it meant. This man has been through things. And the crazy, in the play, um, Living in Strange Lands, which is the journey which we, um, um, Professor Anton Kruger from Makanda University in Grahamstown, Rhodes University, and myself as the actor. So Anton Kruger as the writer, head writer, myself as the performer, and uh, uh, Jose Domingos and Lynn Maria as the director through the time over the years. What we did was we discovered every few months we found something else that was now discovered or released. And slowly with Mandela's release and with changes in the new South Africa, the new constitution, archives became open. And so the, the passage of time shows that people started realizing not only academics, but politicians and people who were politically woke and active and freedom fighters. This man was not insane. So by then, all these conspiracy theories. No, um, he was working for another political party that wanted to get the Nats out. Um, no, he was he was he, he was insane. And he had a, an axe to grind with with um, Fervut, Fervut and, and Fervut's family. And then someone suggested that Foster had something to do with it. And then someone suggested, no, um, he was working for an outside uh, group. So never was the true story told. And the lie of the tapeworm was something that in the play we discover, this is Haris Dusimetsis, his book, his academically recognized international accoladed book, um, The Man Who Killed Apartheid. Haris Dusimetsis has proof, once being access, having access to the archives, that the story of using a tapeworm to prove that you're insane can save you from the gallows. Okay. And that is but the this, journey. Yeah. Uh, but this also brings to light something else that is very South African, the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. Yes, yes. Of the value of actually the archives or the stories behind. Right. Or the things we don't talk about actually coming to the fore. Right. And and we also know why people, why the politicians hide these stories, because yes. by hiding yes. the stories, they manipulate people. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Because once you, if, if for example, they had said, uh, or if, if somehow it got out that it's offenders is a hero, the country would have been unmanageable. The revolution would have hit the roads. It was ready to anyway. When you look at the songs, there's a there's a fantastic uh, recording of a song that was sung by the masses in the township. They were in jubilation and and and, and absolute celebration that this man had killed for Vut. We are now going to be free. The end of free. apartheid. Uh, and of course, that is not the case because, uh, it, you know, it continued and in some ways even even more powerful and destructive and menacing than before. Um, well, it did continue because they controlled the narrative. Yes, they controlled the narrative. They controlled and, the narrative. Yes, and they controlled the narrative and the basic, the basic rights denial makes it almost easy to walk in and grab a group and just mold them as to how you want them to be. And then, uh, and, and so you have this, this journey. And I've got to say that I do believe that we are living the aftermath of all of that. It's not clear. It's not clean. It's, it's still around and will be because it also feeds, in my opinion, the basic human curse of if someone doesn't look like you or doesn't sound like you or doesn't does is is not what you feel you you want to be like or whatever the case might be it's something mesamastoehume i don't know how to other uh, to say it and and that no, I think I, unless i can identify with you i don't like you yeah yeah i've and got to pick up something in you of yeah. course it's crazy i actually think that in a quite perversely Growing up in South Africa, even if it was in apartheid South Africa, made me appreciate diversity. 
Yes, 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 yes. Okay, that's it's strange. I mean, I, 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 I mean, at, at, even I mean, I grew up in the heart of apartheid, but my father had very good Indian friends, and being right. invited to their Bollywood wedding, or oh, um, my the maid in the house would actually make sometimes would make breakfast for us. She'd make that milli pup yes. and a bit of sugar and milk. Or yeah, the, yeah. So actually, growing up with all the, because I, I was fortunate that I had um. Open parents. Oh, yeah. Didn't have yeah. narrow parents. Both my parents are urban. Right. Both are from the city. Both finished school. Yes. So they were very open, didn't block our brains. Right. So it was, right. and my mother was a cook that could cook Japanese. Oh, stunning. To Portuguese, to Cypriot. She would actually roll out the raviolis. Oh, wow, wow, wow. So to me, this thing about bringing in the diversity, to me, is... A richness I still feel. Yes. And living yes. in Cyprus, that is a lot more homogenic. Homogenic. They're a lot more stick to their Greek separateness or Turkish separateness. Oh, right. I actually find quite stifling. Okay. Because okay. I am Greek separate, but that's not all who I am. Oh, right. I love the fact that I've got a friend, Catholic friends, I would go to Christmas Eve Mass and hear the Christmas carols. Oh, beautiful. I don't think the Greek church is better. So I think that's one of the blessings for me, Magda, yes, of a yes. partner, that it actually taught us that despite the divide, I had parents that allowed me to enjoy the richness yes. of the, the diversity yes. that is Africa. Correct, yes. No, and, and um, I'm very, very blessed to, to identify, as you're saying that, that I have got such a multicultural life in terms of what I do, where I go, um, what I music eat, you what listen I share, to. music I listen to, dances I do, stories I tell. It makes me rich, you know. In, How in can myself. we or can we forget the Lorenza Marx Peri Peri prawns? Please. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or Ipitombi. Or Ipitombi uh, for that matter. Or Ipitombi for yeah. that matter, which was a, and we all have that music in us naturally because it was around us. Yeah. But tell me, let's go a bit more about because Tavendas. Okay. It's something that then you interpreted. I'm not yes. interpreted. You played yeah. in your play. Right. How did it feel? What did okay. it bring out in you? Okay, so what I was challenged with was to go to a very dark place as a performer. And I needed to ensure that I was fit to do that and that I did every element of performance very cautiously and carefully because it can go horribly wrong and then you are you will be disrespectful to the memory of the individual uh, mm. and of the story. I knew, I'm a firm believer that parts come to an, a performer or a concept comes to an artist at the time when the concept is ready to be born and to, to shine its light. And, oh. it's, and without the light, there isn't darkness. And without the darkness, there isn't light. So I found elements in his in his journey, in his writing, he fascinated me and fascinates me to this day. Ta spoke 12 languages fluently and... At, at he did? The, yes. And he, wrote, he, okay. wrote and spoke the languages. A very erudite, very well-read individual. And the journey as an actor was intensely personal on one level of when, for example, we performed an, performed an early version of the script at the Baxter, a family was waiting for me afterwards and they introduced themselves to me and then told me who they were. So um, they were the family of the woman that he fell in love with, Helen Daniels, who Whoa. happened to be colored. So... The interesting thing, if I can just outline that, uh, detail it in a way so that the journey is clear. So when he was born, he was rejected. His stepmother, the Greek woman, rejected the mulatto. The oh. father sends him to his yaya in Alexandria. You know, we should write a play or a book or something called Yaya, because the Yaya for me is the power of the planet. But anyway. Um, the Yaya is the granny for anyone that doesn't speak that, Sorry, yes. And yes, Alexandria, and, and Alexandria is a township in 
Johannesburg. No, when I say, when I mentioned Alexandria, I meant in Egypt. His father okay. sent him to the his grandmother okay. living in Alexandria in Egypt. Okay, okay. so so Fendas for the first five or six years of his life is brought up by a granny who loves him as he is, and brings him up to love. But when her grandmother, his grandmother dies, he comes. Sorry, back to but the, the Egyptian, the, the Egyptian background explains the knowledge of many languages. Yes, yes, absolutely. There we go. Thank mm. you. Yes. Mm. So what happens? So he comes is, back to his father. Yes, he comes back to his father in the then Lorenzo Marques, and what his father does is register him as white. So when he registers his children in South Africa, when he brings them here for schooling. They don't say to him, "Sorry, uh, Mr. Tsafendakis was the name." They changed it to Tsafendas. Okay. Um, why are these three kids white and this one's dark? They registered them all as white. So, in other words, yeah. he was white, and he then changed, wanted to change to coloured when he fell in love. I've jumped a whole whole many years, but okay. in essence, it's it's. It's you're holding a white identity, but actually you're coloured according to the government. But you get a white ID book or book of mm. life or ID book, and then when you fall in love with the woman that that you finally meet, and you're waiting for her on the train station in Cape Town, you've never met her, or rather you have via a photograph that was given okay. to you, and you're waiting on. The whites only platform because you're holding a white identity. She doesn't arrive because where is she? She's waiting on the platform the for the one. coloured one, and then she's shocked that you are on the white platform. And you, and then the father says, "Well, you know, what, what can we do now? Because you can't stay with us. You're not by law. You're not allowed to." And there's this brilliant scene which is part of the. The monologue, which I'm delivering at the conference at the University of Aristotle, uh, Dimitri Tsafendas goes to the Department of Home Affairs to try and get his identity changed from white to coloured, and he comes up with this concept. You can see this was a man who was inspired by communist and Marxist writings. He was he was rejected. Throughout his life, wherever he went, for whatever particular reason, whether it was his his uh, look, his his religion, his he he stands in the Department of Home, Home Affairs and says, "I have a solution. Can you not give me an open identity? Do you have to put me in black, white, oh, that's coloured, or Indian?" That's quite forward thinking, isn't it? And then <laughs> the guy tells him he's disgusting and he must get the hell out because he says to him, "Why do you want to?" You want to, you want to be coloured so you can marry uh, that derogatory term a mate, because he says mm. I want to be coloured so I can marry the woman I love, but I want to be white so I can get a good job. I mean, just in that line, encapsulates the times of apartheid. Yes, the the tragic times of apartheid. The tragic, horrific. Um, you know, uh, crimes against humanity times of apartheid. Yeah, mm. yeah. So we have the situation where, uh, once again, rejected, and then after that, he never sees Helen again. And within forty-eight hours, he's bought a knife in downtown Central Cape Town and walked into the Houses of Parliament, where he was working as a messenger. So messengers were had access into the Houses of Parliament. And he walked right in, and stabbed Favut six the times. Arm. Yes, and you know I'm many uh, conspiracy theories say no. He was definitely how did a coloured man get that so job? Paid by someone. Yes, you see, paid by someone. Um, or he was definitely um, someone. It wasn't. It was his. It wasn't his. It wasn't his idea. Someone else motivated him to yes. do it. And for me, you asked me about my journey as a performer. What made it very clear to me was just before you carry on. Yes, thank sorry. you for letting me know because this part of falling in love with a coloured woman yes. is—I never knew this. Oh wow! And okay. it totally explains a part of the motivation of why yes. he did. I can't feel what he felt, right? But this anger must have been so yes. strong. Yes. 
So if you look at the, so that's exactly where where the heart of the performance, the authenticity comes from, uh, and uh, and it is a case of a human being. There's a limit to how much you can reject a human being. There will come a time where the human being will will completely break, and whether that break is he will he she they them will lash out and attack or kill themselves or kill others or do something drastic and no matter what happens there's a final thing i can't take this anymore for me it was mm. this final straw imagine your entire life your 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 stepmother rejects you and the great pain that he has and it's 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 a refrain throughout the performance he longed to find his mother's grave and no one ever told no one told him where she was buried to that to the day of when he passed he never knew and this was something that that haunted him he just wanted to go to her grave because his mother gave birth to him and she was rejected by the father because he says in one part um, she loved him she looked after him. She washed his clothes. But when she fell pregnant, he kicked her out. And then, of course, when she died, his stepmother rejected him. And then the Yaya but, uh, loved uh, him, you know. So, uh, But you can understand, in a way, why the father kicked her out. Because yes. at the time, it was punishable by a prison sentence. Yes, of course. Absolutely. It wasn't as easy as a... Okay. Um, tell me, because I'm, I'm very big in peace building... And I find that you can get enough of theory in peace building, but uh, drama performances, art is a lot more constructive or productive in actually passing messages across. Yes. That could be healing. Yes, How do you is. feel about that? Okay, so one of the great, well, many influences, so uh, in terms of the theory, the practitioners like Stanislavski, Grotowski, Brecht, but if I, I mention Brecht because he says that um, theater is the tool with which to heal society. What I found on my journey as playing Dimitri Tzafendas, every single performance would have somebody's reaction or someone waiting for me to tell me their story, to share their story, uh, and to thank me or thank the fact that this story is being told because they wanted to tell it. So I'll give you an example for um, at uh, the market theater. Um, there was a woman who was very, very, uh, she was really beside herself and, and being consoled by another woman. And then they asked me to sit down with her and, and I did. And she said, she had two children. The one had a very fair skin and the other had a dark skin. And the darks, and she's a dark, she was a dark skinned woman. And the dark skinned child could stay with her in the township, in the designated group area kind of. But the white kid, sometimes she would have to take shoe polish and make the skin of the child darker. You know, Detya Brahmata, these kinds of things. That's horrifying to listen to. But you know, we lived this. We lived this. And it, it was we like, a normal the fact that i i you know i'm i'm in education and in uh, and in in theater and drama uh, when i speak to students at university and at school and we study apartheid plays in fact this very afternoon i'm going with a group of students to watch an, a, a play written during apartheid which we call protest theater right because oh. theater brought about change in its own way and the downfall of the apartheid government. These great oh. writers, Paul Slabolevsky, um, uh, Vita Bezadeno, Peter Dirk Ace, Ethel uh, uh, Fugard, Barney Simon, these individuals... Andre, what's his name? Andre... Uh, Andre Stoltz, Andre, uh, Andrew, uh, uh, Andre Stoltz uh, uh, Anthony Ackerman, they all have written A lot of plays them. Uh, that, that are pointed to... The, the the horrific, unbelievable stories of what was. So Saturday Night at the Palace is about racism in the nineteen eighties, based on a true story at a roadhouse, at a at a restaurant roadhouse, drive-in roadhouse. Um, two Afrikaans guys on a Saturday night 
violently um, uh, interacting with a black man who's closing up the store. And when you go to, so I went to watch it and I'm taking my students. For them, it's alien. They've never lived it, but I've lived that. And the actor playing the black man, the black man September lived it. And the, the guys, writer I was talking about is Andre Brink. Andre Brink, there we go. Yes, of yes. course. <laughs> and especially his poetry, his poetry and his novels, the Dry yeah, White novels, Season, for instant, example. Yes, an instant in the wind. I mean, I read yes, all yes, of yes, them. Yes, 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 yes. And Nadine Gordimer, all of those, all of those writers. But I find that for such a young language. Yes, that Afrikaans is, yes. they actually produced powerful. incredibly powerful, powerful, um, powerful literature. Powerful. Anyway, it's, carry on with what you... So um, what, what I wanted to say is that um, when you look at the the realities of today, it's, it's uh, often I stop and say, God, how was it possible that we this happened? You couldn't sit on this bus. You couldn't go to that place. You, ha- you were a lesser human being. How is it possible? You, uh, my mother wanted to take the maid somewhere and she couldn't sit in the seat next to her. Correct. She had to sit in the back seat. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, Horrific. Is... And you think of it and you think, is that a, did I actually live that? Yeah, yeah. Did yeah. I actually live that? Yeah. But let's go on to yours, Adida, because that's, uh, the separate lead listeners will also know, but understand that as well, because Bezos visited Cyprus a few yes, times. Yes, George Bezos. Yes. Um, he was actually at university with my uncle, George Bezos. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Tell me about the, you busy in the middle of a play with George yes. Bezos. Yes, okay. George Bezos is the um, epitome of someone, of a peace builder. Absolutely. Because he actually stepped across the Rhine and was um, Mandela's permanent, permanent legal counsel. Personal lawyer, yes, yes. And friend. And, and friend. very close, deep friend, yes, yes. Mm. Okay, so... so Interesting. Over the years, I have been looking for other stories and other parts to play. In 2010, Aubrey Sapkavi, the CEO of the State Theatre, contacted me and he said, we are doing a production called The Rivonia Trial, which is about the, the whole, all the events that took place during the Rivonia Trial and the arrest at Lily's Leaf Farm, when the Mkonto Wessis we were meeting. And, of course, they had the tip-off. That's the whole thing. Someone told them, and they knew. And the Rivonia trial is when they were at, a, what do you call it, a, Mandela was actually incarcerated. Yes, correct. Okay. Correct. To put everyone into the um, Incarcerated, yes. And they brought him, brought him from incarceration to stand trial. And famously, he, he, he defended himself with a, a speech that should maybe be read every morning uh, to everyone in this country. But so um, they called and they, uh, he said, look, we're doing the the Ravonia trial and advocate George Bezos said, if there's anybody who can play him is you because you look more like his son than his own sons do. There's something, <laughs> there's something about my gait and uh, when I look at it, I, I, I can see that, and it's quite crazy for me to, 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 to process because there I look like, like advocate George Bezos uh, because of my, my shape and gait. And then I also look like Tavendas <laughs> because of the, the, my, fa- and I'm thinking, okay, well, that's, that's good. You know, you must use the, t- t- the gifts you've been given. Well, that's why you're a good performer because you actually <laughs> fit into a lot of, uh, <laughs> prototypes. So, um, in terms of, of playing George Bezos, um, and doing this play, when we did Ravonia trial, of course, the script was written by, by, uh, Aubrey Sakabi and Paul Grootboom and they took actual, uh, records from the trial and put mm. those in. and so we 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 had the script kind of written for us it was like a bit like verbatim theater but that was an example as you said of he- theater of healing it was time for people to come and sit and watch this play and at the state theater for every performance they had those old police white uh, afrikaans police looking guys plus their alsatian dogs and you had mm. to come through the different doors depending on your color, they kind of recreate a bit like the apartheid museum. And so that was my first journey with advocate George Bezos. And I had the great honor and privilege of sitting with him. And he would tell me 
um, subtext to certain things that he said and mm. didn't say because he knew he knew that they wouldn't hang. He knew the night before, but he couldn't tell them that he wanted to. They managed to save those men um, when they got life. I've got goose flesh when the, mm. when when they, the sentence was life, as opposed to them being all you know hung, uh, or, yeah, or so or death sentence. So. Over the years, uh, a playwright, Victor Gordon, um, in collaboration with George Bezos, the late, and his sons, wrote a script based on um, the long freedom journey or odyssey uh, that is recorded by Bezos in his books. Um, oh. Odyssey to Freedom in particular. So the the solo performance, because Safendas is a solo performance, and it's Safendas play, Living in Strange Lands, and Odyssey is a solo performance as Bezos. And in the case of Bezos, he's an old, wise man who's now in retirement but still practices, and he happens to walk into a court and starts to recall moments from his life. And what we've done with the the Bezos script, because we started uh, staging it uh, during COVID, but then the playwright Victor Gordon got ill and passed away. So we have an incomplete script, but a script uh, uh, working work in process. And what I'm trying to do is not do what documentaries have done um, or, or uh, has been said. There is another side or other sides to this man who once again from childhood had an experience upon arriving in South Africa and seeing the rickshaw, those rickshaw pullers in Durban um, and horrified. It just made such a big, big impact on him to see what is this? What is this place? And of course, they also were escaping and uh, looked to the, 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 the goodness of others um, to help them through, and such such astounding stories of a young boy who couldn't speak any English at all, and then being embraced by a teacher at Athlone, by the way, Athlone. Oh, yeah, yours, your alma mater, yeah. Um, and the journey of, of of this man who, the epitome, as you said, of peace and human rights and human rights activist and. Mandela's Mandela's close close brother, let us say, and what they, yes, they were brothers, absolutely. And then, of course, the impact, the mutual impact. Uh, Bezos would tell me a lot of stories about how um, uh, he, he would go and see Nelson in in prison, and Nelson would say, "Please, George, bring me some plays." Greek tragedies, uh, you know, and and Bezos would say, uh, Mandela loved to read Greek classics, and I took him the plays. That kind of interaction is just so astounding because Mandela himself staged a scene from Antigone, Sophocles' uh, 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 and Antigone, where Antigone is standing in front of King Creon, and she is being accused of being a traitor because her two brothers met on the battlefield and killed each other. But the brother who remained behind after their father Oedipus had gouged his eyes out and he discovered who he really was, stayed with Creon. But Antigone and one of her brothers escaped. Mm. So the brother who escaped and the brother who remained face each other on the field, but the brother who remained with Creon gets the royal uh, the treatment blessing. and buried and blessing, whereas the other brother's body is left to, to be devoured by vultures on the beach. And she goes to do the basic human dignity to bury her brother, and then she is arrested and appears before Creon. Now, why Nelson Mandela, the late... Uh, took the scene because they were they had a, an opportunity to do some recreational activity and do some presentations there on Robben Island. 
He chose this scene played by John Carney and Winston and Shona eventually on stages in the country. But at the time, Nelson Mandela chose to play Creon. And the reason why he chose to play Creon opposite Antigone, he said, I didn't want to play Antigone because I am Antigone. All my brothers and sisters are Antigone. Creon is the apartheid oppressive regime. I want to get into the head of Creon as written in this ancient Greek play from the Greek democracy. And I want to see how that tyrant thinks. Thinks. And how he sees. That's That's actually amazing. And so scene four, the audience become the population in Greece addressed by Creon. And you see this altercation between Antigone, who stands up. She says to him, who are you? Are you God? Do what you like to me. You want to kill me? Kill me. But I gave my brother his right to be buried. You know, it's lovely stuff. Powerful stuff. Important stuff. But you said this is also working progress because things come out. Yes, all the time. Okay, all the time. Tell me in all the works that you do. Uh, how easy is it to step into the personality of someone else? Okay. And how much does it change you? How much of yourself do you bring into it? Okay. And how much does it change you? Very, very powerful question indeed. Um, I need to say up front that I'm very aware of how dangerous the territory is. When I say that is because I am predominantly a Stanislavskian performer, in other words, I work with emotion, I've got to have a very much a, a, a control and awareness of how far deep I go into the psyche, always retaining me, the artist, but being authentic and real to the part. On a spiritual level, I call upon my late mom and dad and the ancestors, and of course, if I'm playing someone who's passed on like Dimitri Tsefendas or like Favut or like Bezos, I ask that I do the soul journey, I do it justice. And I ask that the people who the universe has brought to the performance at that afternoon or that evening, I am used as a vessel to impart the messages and the journey. You know, sometimes I'll come to the end of the performance And I'm kind of going, gosh, that went quickly because you go into almost a a, a subconscious or state, delving therein, uh, breathing wise, uh, physical, emotional, psychological, visual, but constantly retaining the fact that you are a performer and that it's not my therapy, but rather a collective consciousness and a call to action and a embrace of healing and offering of we need to make peace with many things if we're going to be able to carry on uh, and the craft. Um, look, Brecht, Brecht, Bertolt Brecht, the playwright, took a very different view. He had a view that you have to keep reminding the audience that they're watching a work of art in progress so that they keep intellectually engaged. Because he says once they get emotionally engaged, they become almost, um, you give them permission to, to distance themselves. You want them to confront and to be intellectually challenged. But the story with Tzafendas and with Bezos has such elements that, that I relate to because I have felt and do on a daily basis uh, rejected or othered or not part of or not belonging. I also have this this great uh, intention daily, and some days I, I fail dismally, and other days I do very well, just to be kind, just to be kind and okay. I hate the fact that there are aspects in me as a human being that get angry or get jealous or want to hurt or want to upset. You know, someone some once asked me... You know what, I, can I, yes, can yes, I just tell course, you something? You're, you're allowed to be jealous and angry as long as you acknowledge it. Yes, yes. And not as long as you acknowledge yes. it, because you can't always be kind, because sometimes people are 
really, really mean to you. Yes. Or sometimes something happens and you think that shouldn't have happened. That was unjust. So you're allowed to be, as long as you acknowledge it, it doesn't become a permanent part of who you are. Yes. And there you touch on the fact that to understand that after being rejected once again by the apartheid government where they took Helen away from him, Dimitri's offenders, living, he couldn't stay with Helen or the parents. He's in this in a small boarding house and for a week he stays alone in that room and slowly the formulation of how I'm going to get rid of this man because that's the man he saw for Vut is the man who did this. He's the man who's splitting people up and he splits them into smaller particles and those particles collide with other particles and then there's this like explosion um, of, of separated people, annihilated families. So I, I, I identify with many of those things while I'm very aware and acknowledge that being white or classified white um, gave me a lot of privilege. I went to a, a white school um, and I got a white education if there's such a thing. By the same, you were token, allowed to vote. I was allowed, you to, were allowed vote. to vote. Sure, I could go wherever I wanted, get whatever job I, I, you know, live where I wanted, and so on. Um, but deeply inside, you spoke about your parents being woke. Um, I, 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 I could hear and sense, but I didn't know how to to grapple with it, or how to fix it, or how to do it. And then there comes theatre, the vehicle with which to tell stories and to, lest we forget, that's the bottom line, I think, lest we forget, because I fear that it could all happen again. The Holocaust could happen again. Uh, I think there's so much hate going around and so much otherness, Uh, um, the other. So much of it's happening everywhere. Even within, I'm seeing it within the Greek Cypriot community, you see a lot of, the nationalists or the people that don't aspire to be Helens but aspire to be Cypriots. Right. There's a lot of um, manipulation of the way nationalism is used. Right. And the way people should feel. And I think it's very, very scary because I think we are possibly stepping into something, not the Holocaust. I mean, we're seeing it in Palestine every day, but that's another story. But are you seeing a Holocaust... um, a division. Yeah, division. They're dividing yeah. us. They're trying yes. to pull us apart. Yes. And yes. we must not fall for the trap. Because we must. We must not. What What is happening in Palestine is happening. But remember that what the Israelis are suffering as well. So yes. these things have got to be married. Okay. Yes, they do. There's injustice. There's injustice on both sides. Whichever situation you're living in, and I'm using, I'm being specific about this because I know you work for a, a Jewish school. Yes. So there's an injustice on both sides. Yes, so we've got is. to learn how to. Absolutely. So we've got to learn how to, with healing, with truth and reconciliation commission, we've got to learn how to step into the shoe of others without making them accountable and not and judging. Yes, correct. Yes, correct. Um, and and then also what I find fascinating is the world of the, I'm talking because I'm, I work with youth daily uh, in terms of school and university. There. On the one hand, they have no clue about what was apartheid. They're born free, if I can use that term. I've got problems with that that term, but born free, let's say that. Uh, they also have the opportunity to be who they are in terms of their identity. So, at for example, at uh, King David, we have pronoun badges. So, students can wear a pronoun badge that says they, them, or um, he, she, or whatever they want. Us, uh, us old know. folkies have a problem with that. Yes, okay. because I get very confused. <laughs> <laughs> I get very confused with that. And, and you know, uh, it. yeah, I try to help myself in class because sometimes I forget. Hang on a minute. Ricky is now Misha, and Misha identifies as a boy, not a girl. And I, then I sometimes get it, and then I, I go, okay. Let's just not use pronouns at all. <laughs> no, I get very, I have to admit, I get very confused. It's, I uh, mean, in my years at Highlands North Boys High School, if you didn't play rugby or at least hockey, and goodness me, if you sang or acted or were a good writer, 
chances were that you were a little okay. bit serious, that yours. Iffy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <But> iffy. <laughs> I've got to tell you that I've just directed a, a young, well, he's not really young in age, he's, he's in his 50s, but he's now ventured into stand-up comedy. His name's Kosta Karastavrakis, and he's written a play about coming out to his grandmother when he was a youngster and telling his grandmother that he's gay and how his grandmother kind of just said, all right, uh, pass the salt and carry on kind of thing. Which is the way it should be. Exactly. But he talks about uh, his, his, his stand-up comedy show is called Desperately Seeking Suvlaki. And, of course, the Suvlaki is the metaphor um, of, the, of the, the, the male anatomy. And he talks about his gay journey. But he talks about Suvlakia and societies and kebabs and espetadas which then is a, a, a cultural thing. But also he talks about, very much like Nia Vardalos with uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, there are certain things like the Greek dancing and the breaking of the plates and the red eggs and different Easters. And uh, it's just uh, it's such a celebration of, of, of people and culture and life. And you said something so beautiful earlier that the diversity is, is a gift. It's, it's a, a gift. gift. It is a gift. It was actually served in the right way. Not served in the, if you are actually taught or you have the ability to embrace it in the right way. It's a major gift to be able to enjoy what is. Yes, yes. So I'm not Catholic, but on Friday night, I'd go to my friend and we had would have sardines for dinner. Oh, stunning. I hate sardines, stunning. by the way, but we'd have <laughs> sardines for dinner. <laughs> okay? It was it was who they were, so no questions. Yes, yes. You, uh, and, just, but, you just embrace it. And there's, there are opportunities that arise, and you talk about peace and uh, peacemaking. Um, we did, uh, my students at King David High School, Victory Park, which is a Jewish day school, um, and I'm fa fascinated daily the differences and similarities between Jews and Greeks, because I've also worked mm. at Saheti. But we did a I play, a uh, one-act play, uh, The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, and we took it to a festival. And do you know that at the festival, walking from our dressing room to the stage, there was a group from a school, uh, perhaps I won't mention which one, but um, a, a typical white Anglo-Saxon school, that had removed the Holocaust from the history syllabus, uh, government school. And as we were walking, they shouted, Heil Hitler. Um, you oh, know, so, and, uh, uh, and that led to a whole lot of things that took place, uh, interventions and training with the students from that school. I've got to say the Holocaust and Genocide Center were astounding in dealing with that. And on that note, I want to mention that I'm putting together following this monologue from Tzafendas, monologue from George Bezos, a third monologue, I want to play the archbishop in Thessalonica who saved the lives of the Jewish contingent that was in his parish. I think What's those, the name of the archbishop? I'm not, I'm not sure, but someone told me, um, Archimandritis... Uh, gosh, I can't remember right now, but famous, a famous, highly regarded and remembered annually by the Jewish population um, okay. and acknowledged for saving Jews. Um, and um, on, a, on another bit of a fun note in terms of my teaching, I teach dramatic arts, but I also teach English and I also teach drama, obviously, for, uh, in the English syllabus as well. But I also uh, teach maths. So when I was a student, I was giving extra lessons to earn a little bit of extra money um, because my late parents owned a cafe. And, and so it wasn't exactly a, a flush. But I would go to a Jewish home and there would be such joy and pride. My son, Mark, is having extra lessons. He's going to get 95. He's going to get 100% distinctions. It's wonderful. Uh, and they would tell the world. I'd go to a Greek home and they would say, please don't tell anybody that Kostak is having extra lessons. We, we're embarrassed. We don't want to. So the neighbors don't find yes, out about it. Yes, yes. Okay. 
Althea, uh, just as a last question so yes. we can close this conversation, is acting therapeutic for you? Okay. So acting is very, very much therapeutic, but as I alluded to earlier, it's not it's not for the performer to say, you know what, I'm acting and then I heal myself. No. I have no right to use other people's presence or, or attention to heal myself. My task, how I see it, is that I need to share stories that need to be told and heard to heal people in their lives because we all need okay. healing. We're walking souls desperately trying to find healing. That's what I think mm. could be a summary of the planet. No, I totally agree with you because that's why when I first, one of the reasons I started this um, uh, podcast, I, I'm one of the original podcasters in Cyprus. I started doing it in 2013. Fantastic. And one of the reasons, uh, one of the reasons I started is because, and it started as a woman's forum, it's always been a woman's forum, is that the stories of women need to come out. Stories need to come out because people need to feel heard as well. Yes. Yeah. And seen. to feel heard yeah. and seen. And sometimes, like Safenda's, he didn't get the ability to do yeah. it himself. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes you, they need to be reproduced. But the idea of storytelling is so much more um, effective than actually sitting in a history class. With all due respect to history yes. teachers, because yeah. I used to love my history lessons. Yes. But the storytelling, actually listening to someone, you know, this is the way, in a narrative form, actually engages the listener better yes yes and Absolutely. i think in engaging with someone who has a story to tell i do heal myself yes absolutely absolutely and, and i feel as if i'm not alone yes 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 it's very much a a in fact that that's the magic of theater because as my heart beats as the performance at the same time there are a whole lot of other beating hearts here present mm. it happens in a different way on film of course but that also can do can do that and so can a painting or so can a therapy i'm also part of the playback theater drama for life at wits and more and more and more applied theater is looking at exactly what you're doing getting people together stories together an individual to share others to participate and to to react to but of course i'm always reminded by certain uh colleagues in the industry hey man can you just can we just do some entertaining stuff so we can like have a bit of fun you know <laughs> do we always yes. have this heaviness to think about stuff but i say yeah but the heaviness has always got a light if we don't if we always. don't know the darkness we can't see the light we mm. can't no access yes. yeah Anyway, we, I could. I think this conversation could carry on for hours, but I think we need to stop it here. Thank you, thank and you. And I um, also need to tell the listeners that they can come and hear you at the Cyprus Diaspora Forum that will be taking place next year yes. in March in Limassol. Yes. And I also look forward to meeting you then. Yes. In person. Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. And also send me details of your conference in September. You never know. Yes, of I course. might even make, because my... I have family in Thessaloniki. My oh, yeah. ex-husband is from there. There you go. And I still have a very good relationship with him and his um, there you go. family. So you see, so you've you, made, you have peace there. You've made peace there. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> it has absolutely. been delightful to talk to you and to meet you. As ime epochreos evkaristo para poli for this megality me, really. Contacting uh, me the, uh, and giving me this time and asking me anytime I'm there to talk. And I want to send you some of my, my plays and writing. Is Maybe I think maybe we should write something, you know. I look forward to this because I'm looking for a new path as well because I've just turned 65 and I'm looking for a new route. I'm 63. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah. But I want to thank you for being with me because for some reason your CV spoke to me. Ah, oh yeah. And there's a, a real reason it spoke to me. And I do think healing is part of all we yeah. We all do a different kind of healing and peacemaking and telling stories, even if it's the ugly stories. Yeah. yeah. Those are the ones that Those need are the ones, come yeah, out. They because, do. They do. Because they are not what they seem to be. Right. And there's always a depth and we need to get beyond the depth. And that's why... 
we need a Teeth, Truth and Reconciliation oh, Commission wow, here as wow, well. Wow, wow, wow. For whatever it brings. Whatever it anyway, brings. Anyway, I look, I look forward to seeing you in Very person so. in March. Thank and to you. the listeners, thank you for listening. Any Very last so. message? Yes, from me, um, I'm even more honored that I am on this platform with such inspired visionary women and your light. You, you, you have light. It just leaps out of the screen and, and it's just beautiful and wonderful. And I've basked in it. And thank you for, for accommodating a, a male. Uh, um, and <laughs> then um, as long as what you wanted to discuss and the things we wanted to say have been done, I'm happy with that and very grateful. Thank you. I, I didn't have an agenda in mind, but it developed in a way that I think is perfect. Okay, great. Okay. So para, and para thank poli. you for calling me the light. It's, you've made me, you've made my day. Uh, to so the listeners, poli. to you, a big thank you. And to the listeners, thank you for listening and stay safe. Amen. Okay. The first trilingual podcast station of Cyprus, Island Talks, open, diverse, free.